Hello. Thank you, Julia. That was just that was really lovely, and uh, that's uh, really helped us to focus on God and His faithfulness. And uh, you've uh, lifted me up as well. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm um, going to talk about David and Jonathan. Um, sorry, I'm Amy, if anybody doesn't know, but I think most people do. Um, so, David and Jonathan. It's a story about two young men, um, and they're brought together through the consequences of prophecies and the actions of Samuel. Uh, and his name is on the books which tell the story. Um, and incidentally, um, we, in our Bible, we have one Samuel and two Samuel, but originally it was just one book. It was just a very big book, so they chopped it in two. Um, uh, and there's loads and loads of text um, in Samuel and in some of the other Old Testament books um, about this story and, and them, but we don't have time to read that all. So I've got a bit of a challenge here to give you a bit of the backstory uh, and read you a bit about their friendship. Uh, I'm going to watch a little cartoon as well. Um, then we're going to have to think about what others have said about it, some of my thoughts, and then hopefully... Um, we'll have a bit of motivation to talk about this in our groups um, and explore our own sort of presumptions and life experiences of what friendship is. And I'm praying that we'll find ourselves a bit closer to God's heart on this important subject, because this is how we were created to be in relationship. So in this story, there's probably four main characters to just know about. There's Samuel, who's the prophet I've mentioned, Saul, the anointed king of Israel, Jonathan, who is Saul's son, and David, who is the son of Jesse, but he's been chosen by God through Samuel to become the next king of Israel after Saul. So Samuel's been proved a prophet earlier in the Old Testament by his ability to hear God's voice as quite a young boy. And he continues along this path and he gets this big book named after him. Saul is chosen by God through Samuel to be king of the Israelites. Um, there was a period of judges who were le leaders of um, Israel, and the people really lost their way there, to say the least. Um, so it was a discern that anointing a king as a leader would be a better solution. Saul was picked to be the man. However, we increasingly see his human weaknesses sneaking in as his obedience to God falters and his emotions lead him into less than reputable decisions, a disturbed soul, and eventually to his demise. Jonathan is fiercely loyal to righteous causes, courageous, strategic, sacrificial, and he earns a good reputation with the people for his trust in God and his obedience. His servants respect him and they're faithful to him as he demonstrates his faithfulness. David, like Saul, is chosen by God through Samuel to be king. However, in contrast to Saul, he progresses from being the least likely candidate to the strong, ideal, popular king-in-waiting in a very short time. So if we read uh, 1 Samuel 13 to 14, we get a backstory before Jonathan uh, meets David. Uh, we find him in battle. And this gives us plenty of evidence about his character. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. 
Doniston said, come on then, we will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come to us, we will climb up, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So you can see his character there. And then after that, there's an episode about Saul's attack on the Amalekites. His compromised obedience to the Lord is condemned by Samuel, who's given Saul the message from God to attack the Amalekites. Saul decides to do things his own way. And this is a contrast to the earlier story about Jonathan. The narrator doesn't beat about the bush here. He says, the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. This assault on Saul's character is sandwiched between the previous episode, a glowing portrayal of Jonathan, and the introductory story about David in the next passage, 1 Samuel 16. This is the story of how David was picked to become the future king. It's the opposite of the old school practice of picking teams for PE, where I certainly always was the last one to be picked. Um, but this is a theme. <clears throat> Sorry, David's story is one of the rising of the underdog, which is a theme you can't really miss. goes through the Bible. Um, David was the youngest son of Jesse and not even present in the lineup of these seven fine boys who were presented to Samuel. He was out um, tending the sheep. However, he's called for, and Samuel immediately knows that David is to be the anointed king. And here's where we find that famous phrase, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I just thought, as an aside, do we find this reassuring or maybe a bit discomforting and challenging? Then, after that, as soon as we've had this heavenly confirmation of David's new destiny, we learn of the deterioration of Saul, who's being tormented by an evil spirit. We don't know exactly what this was, but it was most likely some form of mental distress. And I love this part because of my background in music therapy and uh, research and experience. Uh, Saul's advisors recommend that a good lyre player, is, uh, lyre's like a, a small harp, um, is found to come and soothe his soul. Guess what? David just happens to be great at music as well, and he successfully becomes Saul's chosen therapist. And then we have the uh, not-quite-so-delightful bedtime story of David and Goliath. David's bravery, initiative, loyal to his people, his skill, and above all, his unswerving trust in God is presented to us in this slaying of the giant of the Philistine race. And all of this is building up to present a pretty strong picture of David. So, we've been given these two outstanding reports of two exemplary followers of the Lord and representatives of their communities, David and Jonathan. And then the two young men meet up, and this is what happens. Now, it came about, when he had finished speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and bow and belt. And David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered, and Saul set him over the men of war. I'm just going to explain what's meant by the covenant here. So a covenant is much more than simply a contract. It's rooted in promise and in relationship. It implies a bond that can't be broken except by death. 
This becomes especially clear when we consider that the covenant Christians enjoy with God was bound by the sacrificial love of Jesus. And now we're adopted as the sons of God. Jonathan is says to have loved David as he loved himself, which is a strong statement, although it's actually one of God's two most important commandments. After loving God with all that we are, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. So we could say that he's simply living out his obedience to love everyone in this way. However, the assumption here is that it's probably more than that. It was actually singling out David for a special role in his life. Okay, so that's the backstory to where we get to now. Um, so the main story, uh, a lot of us will know this, but um, perhaps not, and it might have been a while since we've heard it, so we're going to just go over it again. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Juliet showed us um, that fantastic cartoon from the Bible Project about the story of Ruth. So I thought, oh, great, I'll go and find one about David and Jonathan. Um, unfortunately, they kind of skipped over that in their presentation of set the books of Samuel. Um, so I found another little video. It's okay, but it'll just give us um, an outline rather than reading the whole passage from the Bible. So if we could have the little quick. Jonathan and David were best friends. It didn't matter to Jonathan that one day David would be king over Israel and take the place of his own father, King Saul. Jonathan would always do what was best for his friend because he loved David and he knew that God was with him. King Saul, on the other hand, was so jealous of David that he wanted to kill him. David feared for his life. He asked Jonathan, Why is your father trying to kill me? And what have I done to make him so angry? Jonathan was surprised by David's question. How do you know my father wants to kill you? He promised me he was not mad at you anymore and would never hurt you. But David was convinced that Saul hated him. So the two of them came up with a plan that would prove whether or not David was in real trouble with King Saul. When they were done discussing the plan, David hid and Jonathan returned home to his father. And so the plan moved forward. David did not show up for an important dinner with the king and his family, even though everyone expected to see him. If the king asked why David was not at the dinner, Jonathan was to tell the king that he was attending the feast with his own family. The hope was to find out whether Saul would be angry with David or not. As the dinner went on, the king could not help but notice that David was not sitting in his place at the table. He asked Jonathan, Where is David, and why is he not here? Jonathan wasn't even finished explaining when the king became very angry. He was so filled with hate that he picked up his spear and hurled it at his own son. Jonathan knew without a doubt that David was in real danger. David, still hiding, waited for the signal that would tell him whether or not it was safe for him to come out. Jonathan would shoot three arrows close to the target if David was safe, but he would shoot them past the target if he was still in danger. Jonathan shot the arrows far into the distance. David now knew the truth. Saul wanted to murder him. As soon as he was sure he would not be seen by anyone else, David came out from where he was hiding and he fell on his face to the ground before Jonathan, 
filled with love and thankfulness for what his friend had done for him. The two friends held each other and cried over Saul's actions. The king had not only rejected David, but wanted him killed. Now the two friends and their two families would be separated forever. David cried even more than Jonathan. So Jonathan truly loved David as his own soul. He knew that God was with David and that he would be king over Israel. Not only had Jonathan protected David with his own life, but he continued to stand by David to the very end. The last recorded words of Jonathan to his beloved friend were, Do not fear my father, for you are destined to be king, and I will be second to you. Even my father knows this. So, friendship, loyalty, sacrifice, and love. What kind of love? In our social media-dominated age, we can be so image-conscious that we think more about the impression that we make on others than we do about making genuine friends. Do we want to impress people, or do we want to build genuine friendships? Our real friends will know that we're not that impressive. They'll see the rough edges and the ugliest things about us, but we will be known and we will be loved. That's the beauty of tr for true friendship. It sees the ugly and it stays. The root of all genuine friendship is God's love towards us. God's love towards us has nothing to do with our being impressive enough for him to love us. God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our God says to us, I know everything about you and I love you deeply. Jonathan's care for David shows us something of the sacrifice involved in friendship. He was loyal to his bond to protect David, even though it meant he wouldn't get to be king. He risked death as a result of his father's rage, but stayed the course because he'd made a promise to his friend. If we want the ultimate model of friendship, listen to Jesus. He said, a greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for a friend. And it wasn't just words because that's exactly what he was about to do for his disciples and for us. As many of us might know, compared to our one English word, love, L-O-V-E, the Greeks had eight words which are worth briefly mentioning. These are philia, which is affectionate love, uh, without romantic attraction and occurs between friends and family. Uh, pragma, which is enduring love. Storge, familiar love. Eros, romantic love. Ludus, playful love, mania, obsessive love, philautia, self-love, and agape, selfless love. This agape refers to an unconditional love, the highest form of love, and the love for God for man, and of man for God. Within Christianity, agape is considered to be the love originating from God or Christ for humankind. Uh, Anglican theologian O.C. Quick in 1938 said, in its pure form, it is essentially divine. If we could imagine the love of one who loves men purely for their own sake and not because of any need or desire of his own, purely desires their good and yet loves them wholly, not for what at the moment they are, but for what he knows he can make of them because he made them. 
then we should have in our minds some true image of the love of the Father and creator of mankind. So, the relationship between David and Jonathan has sparked many theories about the type of love that it may or may not have existed between these two young men. One, that it was purely a philia or platonic friendship. One, that it's been termed as a, what you call a homosocial relationship, which is a preference for members of one's own physical gender, but socially rather than sexually. Or, three, that it was an eros love, in fact, a romantic sexual relationship. And this third conclusion has been backed up by several people because of this passage when David laments the death of Jonathan. It says, Saul and Jonathan, beloved and pleasant in their life, in their death they were not parted, they were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. How the mighty have fallen. Jonathan is slain on your high places and I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been pleasant to me. Your love to me was more wonderful than the love of women. Aha, the scholars say, here's proof that David and Jonathan's love was erotic. But I think the point they're missing is what we've just been thinking about. What do we think of as the highest form of love? Is it Disney and Hollywood's ideal of romance and sex? Or is it God's agape ideal of selflessness, faithfulness, sacrifice, depth, and so much more? God's hand was on Jonathan and David, and the love this agape between David and Jonathan is greater than the love of women and should be understood in light of the two earlier mentions of love between David and Jonathan, where it's described not as love for a romantic partner, but love for self. He loved him as his own soul. And David evidently had sexual relationship with women within several marriage and also in adultery when he was tempted. But we don't really find accounts of the kinds of loyalty and deep friendship that he shared with Jonathan. Did he love these women as his own soul? Perhaps not. What I'm trying to say is that actually this is not the point of the story. Far more important than trying to prove that these men were gay or not is whether we grasp the magnitude of the love that they did share that went beyond our society's exaltation of eros above and of other special types of love. As a personal illustration, um, I had a boyfriend a long time ago who, within a short time of us being together, declared to me that the love he had to me was so much deeper than the love he had for his family. I actually challenged him on that statement. It didn't quite seem right to me. Yet, sorry, yes, the feelings he was experiencing were intense, but his family love has existed since his birth and through many experiences. It was a deeper love, and it still remains. Nowadays, he's still very close to his family, but the intense love he had to me is no longer there. It wasn't deep in the same way. I hope you're following me with this. What it comes down to is this. What is love? What is friendship? What kind of love do we feel is the most important or believe is the ultimate love to strive, to give, or intend, or indeed, sorry, long to receive? For me, the relationship between Jonathan and David points us to challenge our society, which more often than not glorifies romance and sex, which incidentally God invented and he celebrates. It is a symbol of uniting God and his people, but it's only one element. Marriages depend not only on sex, but on the qualities of agape love. Loving friendships don't require sex, but they flourish when agape is at work. In Jonathan and David, we can recognize agape. It's deeply attractive, deeply admirable. 
They're not perfect, but it points us to the love of God, which is ultimately expressed in Jesus through his life and his death. I'm going to read that quotation again from O.C. Quick. If we could imagine the love of one who loves men purely for their own sake and not because of any need or desire of his own, purely desires their good and yet loves them wholly, not for what at the moment they are, but for what he knows he can make them because he made them, then we should have in our minds some true image of the love of the Father and creator of mankind. Many years ago, through the heartbreak of a broken relationship, I asked God how I could forgive that person. And the answer came back, if I could choose to see that person through God's eyes, then I would be able to forgive and to love with God's heart. And that ideal has stayed with me and grown through life's challenges. With every single unique, precious, awesome, created person, like you guys, that I meet, and everyone else, I've decided to ask God to enable me to love them in the way that he does. Most obviously, through the life and death of Jesus. Recently, I've started calling supermarket staff love, simply for scanning my barcodes, and it's not just because I'm from up north. The more I choose to see others through God's eyes, I can't help but feel that love for them, even perfect strangers. Remember, when we choose to love in this way, as Jesus said, even the least of these, there he is in that person. This is agape. God loves us, we love others, and in so doing, we love God himself. So I'd like us to explore some of these thoughts in our groups about friendships and, um, yeah, the whole ideas about love. Um, and God says to all of you, I love you. And hopefully that's what we can all say to each other because we know this great love we have received from Christ himself. And as we see each other, we see people that we long to love. <laughs>